Okay, another class, Understanding Your Religion, the Seven Major Doctrines That Define the Christian Faith. This is lesson number 19 in the series. Uh, we're going to talk about the sub-doctrine of sanctification, part two of that particular uh, lesson. And um, this section here is entitled, The Process of Sanctification. So uh, last time we were together, we began our study of the sub-doctrine of sanctification. And I said at that time that uh, this particular doctrine explains the plan of salvation from an, an inward perspective. In other words, what takes place within the one who is reconciled to God through Christ? What happens on the inside of that person? Now, we examine the idea that sanctification referred to the setting apart of the saved for a special high calling. And we also said that since the value of the task of those set apart was dependent on the authority and the status of the one doing the setting apart. In other words, you know, your value and the value of what you are doing is established by the position of the one who sets you apart. And so our new status of those set apart was to be in Christ, that's the status, and the new purpose of those set apart would be to magnify Jesus Christ. All right? And that is a high calling indeed because those who have been set apart have been set apart by the highest of authorities and that is God Himself. I also mentioned the idea that unlike the priests in the Old Testament who were set apart by outward appearances, you know, they had the robes and you know, everything, and also outward tasks, they had the, the task of uh, performing the uh, service at the temple, making the sacrifices and so on and so forth. The Christian's sanctification is spiritual nature and it affects the inward man. So the Old Testament priests was more outward, uh, the New Testament individual, the priest of God, what's going on is, is inward. Let's read Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 and 10, get a little focus, a little biblical focus on this. It says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so one scripture there referring to the inward nature of the sanctification of those who are in Christ. All right, so in our lesson today, we're going to continue our study by reviewing some of the errors made in teaching this doctrine, the doctrine of sanctification, and the various stages in the actual process of sanctification. So let's start with some of the mistakes made. As with many of the doctrines that we have studied, there have been errors that have been taught concerning the doctrine of sanctification. One of the most common ones has to do with the issue of the way to identify those who have been sanctified. If it's an inward thing, 
Okay, you, could, you could tell who the priests were. They came from a particular family, a particular lineage. You know, they did certain things. They wore uh, the outfit of the, the priest, the robes, the breastplate. You, know, you could tell who they were. But when the, when the sanctification is on the inside, the setting apart is on the inside, how do you tell which are the ones who are sanctified? Well, one of the most common uh, errors has to do with the issue of the way to identify the individual who has been sanctified. For example, error number one, those who are sanctified have spiritual gifts, uh, and most specifically the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. So um, a, lot of, a lot of groups believe that the sure sign that one has been sanctified by God is by their ability to speak in tongues. Uh, now there were many gifts mentioned in the Bible, many spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible, but this is the one gift most referred to in the last uh, century or so. Uh, the Bible, however, describes this gift as the ability uh, to speak in known languages and that with time this particular gift would cease. So let's take a look at the passage in Acts chapter 2 that describes this actual phenomenon of speaking in tongues. All right? It says, uh, and there appeared to them, speaking to the, about the people who were you know, watching the apostles, it says, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay, so this is the basic passage from which the speaking in tongues comes from. So watch what happens, let's keep going. It says, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, notice that term language. Each of them were hearing the apostles speak in their own language, a human language. Continue. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Again, different languages. So the first time that the gift of speaking in tongues which was performed by the apostles is mentioned in the Bible in Acts chapter two. Um, it's talking about known languages, languages understood by men. And in this passage, we're not going to go down there, but it actually names you know, Parthenians and Greeks. You know, it actually names the actual languages that they were speaking. They were not unknown languages. They weren't you know, a, a kind of heavenly gibberish or anything like that. They were real, real languages. And then in another passage in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says that this particular gift, to be able to speak in a tongue, in a language that you hadn't learned, this particular gift would be done away with. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away. So what is put forth today as speaking in tongues does not resemble at all what the Bible describes as speaking in tongues, and even if it were, it would not be a definite proof of sanctification. 
So what am I saying? Some people say, well, if you can speak in tongues, that's the sign that you've been set apart, that you've been sanctified. And I'm saying to you, whatever people are doing today and calling speaking in tongues does not resemble what the Bible describes as speaking in tongues. The Bible describes speaking in tongues as the ability to speak a language that you had not previously known or learned. It's as if I immediately began to speak in Mandarin, or I began to speak in German, or some other known language but unknown to me. That was the, that was the miracle that was taking place at Pentecost. The apostles were speaking in languages so that everyone, uh, no matter where they came from and no matter what language they, you know, they spoke, could hear what they were saying in their own language. That was the miracle. And I've, I've never seen that particular miracle uh, expressed today by various groups. Usually, again, some sort of heavenly gibberish that no, no known language at all of, of, of the world. Okay? So uh, if, if you're saying my speaking in tongues is the uh, clue or is the guarantee that I've been set apart, well, the tongues that you're speaking is not the tongues that are uh, described in the Bible. So you know, it would be wise to kind of verify that and uh, you know, kind of double check in the Bible. So that's one error. Another one is that people who are sanctified can actually perform miracles. Again, this idea is proposed by some who think that they have been set apart by God for ministry and the proof is they have miraculous power. The problem here is that with faith healers of today, their ability to cure is based on the disease, the type of disease, and the relative faith of their followers. And also there's always a money factor in the process. In the Bible, however, those who had this ability could heal anyone of anything. They could even raise the dead. They didn't have to be near. They didn't have to even touch the person. For example, Peter and Paul healing people uh, whose you know, handkerchief was brought forth or if their shadow crossed the sick person's path, that person was healed. Uh, Acts 5.15, it says, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. You don't have you know, uh, budget, you know, budget miraculous powers where all you can heal are you know, sore backs and arthritis and then you have you know, uh, you know, 89 octane type of miraculous powers where oh you can perhaps heal a cancer and then you have super where you can heal the blind and raise, you know, if you had the power to heal you could heal anything. And that's not the case with modern faith healers. Of course there was never any question of failure in the Bible, they never failed, and money was never attached to their healing ministry. Simon the sorcerer, you know, he offered to pay money to be able to have power and, and look what happened to him. He was cursed by the apostles. Timothy and Titus, for example, they were mighty servants of the Lord. So was Luke who wrote one of the gospels and Mark who wrote one of the gospels and Silas, a missionary. And yet none of them were able to perform miracles. We have no record of that. So to say that a sign or a calling uh, or sanctification into ministry in the modern era is demonstrated by miraculous power, that's just not a biblical idea. It's a religious idea, it may be a denominational idea, but it can't be supported 
using the scripture. So the, the question then becomes, well, how does one know that they are truly sanctified? Well, those who have been set apart by God into Christ know that this is the case in the following ways. First of all, we know it by faith. I mean, the word of God teaches that those who repent, believe, and are baptized into Christ, they will be forgiven. They will receive the Holy Spirit. They have been transferred from the world into the body of Christ. And now they belong to the kingdom of light. I mean, Mark 16, Acts 2.38, Galatians 3.26, you know, Colossians 1.13, what does Paul say? We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His Son, you know, set apart. So we know that we are sanctified in the same way that we know everything else about our reconciliation. We know it by faith. You know, I was baptized. I didn't see any of my sins floating around in the water. I mean, I went in the water and I came up out of the water and I went in as a sinner, unforgiven. I came out of the water, a, a saint, forgiven. How do I know I'm forgiven? Because the Bible tells me those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. I believe that. I know by faith that this has taken place. So we believe God's word when He promises that those who believe in His Son and express their faith in obedience, they are sanctified. So I know it by faith. We also know by power. Not the external power to do miracles and signs, but by the internal power that enables us to manifest Christ to the world. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, Paul says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So what does Paul say here? Paul describes the experience of sanctification. He says sanctification is the knowledge of God's will. We know God's will. We have spiritual wisdom and understanding. We experience and practice obedience to His word. We have fruitfulness and good works. We have an ever-deepening relationship with God in prayer and in assurance. We have a, a greater ability to persevere day by day. We have a, a joyful and a thankful heart. We have hope of eternal life in heaven. So that's how we know that we are sanctified. It manifests itself in all these things. All these things, knowledge of God, spiritual wisdom, obedience to His word, fruitful, all those things, those are not things that are produced by the flesh, by the law, by sin. Those are all things produced by the Spirit. So if we're producing spiritual fruit, then we are in the Spirit. We are sanctified by the Spirit. So sanctification is a spiritual state whereby we become holy like God and we take on the character of Christ and we manifest that character to the world. 
Okay. I repeat it, sanctification is a spiritual state whereby we become holy like God, we take on the character of Christ and we manifest it to the world. So let's, let's summarize here. Adoption describes our new relationship with God. When I say adoption, I mean the subdoctrine of adoption. The subdoctrine of justification describes our new standing with God. We're justified. The subdoctrine of perfection describes the new quality that God gives us. He considers us fully mature because we are related to Christ by faith. And the subdoctrine of sanctification describes the new character that God is developing in us and moving us to manifest to the world. So, very important. Adoption, justification, and perfection happen in a moment. They happen at baptism, when we are united to Christ through faith. And these cannot be increased by any other activity. Sanctification, however, is a process that takes place throughout our lives and will be completed when we receive our glorified bodies at the return of Christ. So Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You, you can't produce these things through flesh and blood. It's a spiritual thing. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We're not resurrected like this body. That's where this is the perishable body. Behold, he says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. How imperishable! And we will be changed. So at the end, when we're resurrected or if we're still alive when Jesus comes, Paul says that at that time, we will manifest perfect obedience, perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge, perfect strength, perfect wisdom, perfect insight, perfect love, so on and so forth. In the meantime, we are in the process of sanctification. Now remember, I said that adoption, justification, and perfection, these things happen in the same moment at baptism. But sanctification is a process that takes time. Warren Wearsby, a religious writer, in his book Be Ready, says that there are three stages in the process of sanctification. Number one, there's the positional stage. This is when we are actually set apart into our new position in Christ by God at baptism. This is the beginning stage, right? He says, by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So once and for all, you know, uh, Christ pays the debt for our sins. Once and for all, we are in Him. We're, 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 we come into Christ once and for all. The next stage is the practical stage. The practical stage is experienced in every Christian's daily struggle with sin and the daily effort to manifest Christ to an unbelieving world. So Paul says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, what's the promises? Eternal life, the glorified body, the perfected state. You know, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, 
perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This perfecting holiness, this is the, the process of sanctification. Of course, God helps us in this daily struggle and effort. Unlike the priests, He doesn't give us like special uniforms or rules or job descriptions. That's what the priests had. They had the law, how to, how to offer the sacrifice, when and where, why, all that stuff. We, we don't have those type of instructions. He prepares us and He provides for us certain things that helps us in this process of sanctification. For example, He provides the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8 too it says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit, we receive the Holy Spirit that enables us to continue in the process. He provides the word. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16. So God provides us the word that does what? That trains us in righteousness. That's why we have Bible studies, why we have worship, why we have you know, classes for different ages, classes in different subjects, so that we can mature and understand God's word, and most importantly, how to apply it to our lives. He provides the church with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about the guys that work at a tinker or a GM? I mean, it, it would help if they did that, but no, here he's talking about the church. And so he provides the church that, uh, um, um, the church that uh, uh, helps support us in this process, strengthens us, teaches us, uh, reproves us when we're wrong, encourages us when we're right. He also provides the cross. John says, but if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sins. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the cross of Christ is there as a guarantee. Yes, I'm in the process of sanctification. Yes, sometimes I fail. And because of the cross of Christ, I have the courage to go on because I, you know, I have my eye on the cross knowing that the cross of Christ continues to wash me clean as I continue with my hit or miss, with my progress in this process of sanctification. And this process of sanctification, this stage lasts for as long as we live on earth. Okay? And that brings us to the third stage which is the perfected stage. 1 John 3, 2, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. So when Christ comes, we will actually be perfected and actually manifest His perfect likeness in ourselves for eternity. So sanctification, this sub-doctrine, says that we are set aside by God to become like His Son, Jesus Christ, as we faithfully struggle each day until He returns and completes that process of sanctification in us. We lose our position, remember we said the, the positional state? We lose our position only if we abandon the practical task of manifesting Christ 
as best we can each day. So long as we practice manifesting Jesus, God assures us that when Christ comes, practice will be turned into perfection forever. Now, one of the most common errors that Christians make is that they fail to understand that adoption and justification and perfection, all of these things happen in an instant at baptism. But sanctification, this is a lifelong process. So they begin to worry about losing their justification or losing their adoption or losing their standing with God, you know, their perfect standing with God in God's eyes, uh, when their daily struggle in the process of sanctification is not going quickly enough or they've experienced setbacks or they try to earn justification or earn adoption or perfection by working extra hard in the process of sanctification. Brothers and sisters, I need to tell you, in this life, you can never be more justified, you know, forgiven. You cannot be more adopted, belonging to God. You cannot be more perfect or you know, acceptable to God as the day that you were baptized. You don't improve on that. Those, the day that you come into Christ through baptism, that's the day that you receive the full portion of these things. Sanctification, on the other hand, is the preparation or the fitting for the glorious body that we will receive at resurrection. So sanctification is preparation for the heavenly life and the manifestation of that heavenly life to the world around us. You want to see what heavenly life is kind of like? Look at the church. This is why unity in the church, loving one another, so on and so forth, is so important. It's not just a thing in itself. The purpose of the church is to manifest Christ, to manifest His kingdom, to manifest in some way what heaven is going to be like to a certain, uh, to a certain degree. You see, you, you don't gain heaven through the process of sanctification. You experience heaven through this process. Now, since sanctification is a process, it also explains a couple of things that does happen in every church. For example, it explains why some people remain saved even though they are extremely immature spiritually. Their immaturity simply shows that they are not far in the process. Now some people are immature because they haven't, you know, they've just come to Christ, they're 38 years old and they've just come to Christ and they're just starting Others are immature because they're immature in life. You know, they were baptized when they're 12. Do we expect a 12-year-old to understand, to express Christ, so on and so forth, as much as someone who's been in the, in the Lord for 50 years? Well, no, of course not. Are they justified? Absolutely. Are they forgiven? Absolutely. Are they acceptable, perfect in God's sight? Absolutely, 100%. But the process of sanctification has merely started in their, in their lives. Okay? So that's why when we see different you know, people at different stages of their maturity, some people are at church all the time, you know, they volunteer, blah, blah, blah. other people Sunday morning only for the worship service, never volunteer, nothing. How come those people are saved? Well, they're, they're not far in the process of sanctification. Our task as ministers, elders, you know, so on and so forth, is to help those people kind of you know, move forward in that process because they're missing something. 
They're missing the marvelous experience of knowing Christ more, more deeply. All right, that sanctification is a process also explains why we shouldn't be discouraged or afraid when we fail. The process you know, is long and painful, and so long as we're willing to remain faithful, God is going to continue to bring us along. You know, I've always said, you know, I, I'm ready to quit on me long before God is ready to quit on me. Isn't that the case? I'm ready to give up on myself, but God is never ready to give up on me. That's why you know, sanctification is a, is a process. And then thirdly, it explains and tells us why we should always have hope for ourselves and others. Because God's promise is that one day all of us will be exactly like Jesus and we will manifest Him perfectly to one another. Now Richard Rogers passed away many years now, was an instructor at Sunset Bible College. And he used to say, you know, I'm, I'm so tired of my flesh. I'm, I'm tired of sin. I'm sick and tired of sin. And I understood what he said. He was a godly man, a very fruitful Christian servant, minister, preacher, so on and so forth. You know? And yet with all of the good things that he had done in his life in the name of Jesus, he saw himself as a sinner and he was just tired and fed up of his own flesh. He couldn't wait to get rid of it. Uh, we understand that, don't we? We all, we all go through that. The great promise is one day we will cast off this body and the thing that we hunger for, you know, Jesus said those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be satisfied. He's talking to us. He's talking to the people in the kingdom who want to finally be rid of this sinful self and, and be able to manifest the beauty, the perfection, the love, the wisdom of Christ. You know. The process of sanctification in life helps us get a bit of a taste of that, helps us to keep going, helps us to see what's ahead. So think of that you know, brother or sister that you dislike in the church or that you're at odds with and realize that one day the sin and the weakness that you dislike in that person will be gone and only Jesus' perfect character will remain. This is one of the things that I do when I'm at odds with someone or you know, I'm having problems with especially a brother or sister in the Lord. I try to imagine them perfected in Christ and how wonderful it will be between myself and that person when I am and they are perfected in Christ. You know? I try to see them in that light. So I encourage us, you know, better to try to love each other now uh, then apologize for it later. And that, by the way, you know, is part of the process of sanctification. And so if we, you know, I keep trying to shrink down all these doctrines into just a couple of words. So here are the, all the doctrines in a couple of words. God promised that those set apart would perfectly manifest Christ. It's a promise. How do I know that I'm sanctified? God said so. He promised it to me and I believe His word, and based on that belief, I continue in my process of sanctification, winning some, losing some, but never quitting, always continuing to go on. As, as Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I, I, I press on, I press on. All those who are sanctified, they press on. Okay, so that's our class for today. We're getting close to the end of this, uh, of this uh, series. 
uh, and uh, look forward to, uh, look forward to uh, the time when, uh, when we're done. Only a couple of more lessons to go, so I'll see you next time. Thank you very much.